The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. December morning. I can't believe how lucky I am because look who I'm sitting next to, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox. It's been a month of Sundays, right? Yes, it's been way too More long. than that, way probably. But welcome back to Autism Live. Thank you so much. And we're so excited that he's here with us today because we're going to talk about a lot of different things. And you guys can be writing in with your questions. I'm going to go through all that in a second. We're going we're gonna to do Jargon of the Day, a new one with Dr. Tarbox. Uh, which is very exciting to me, and I, I, I said I'm nervous. I'm, uh, I'm a little giddy, and I'm a little bit nervous, uh, but it's very exciting to have you here. Welcome. Yeah, it's so good to see you, Shannon. Like, literally, I mean, I've told you this a million times, but every minute that I spend with you, like, actually makes my life a little bit better. You're well, just, like, all like heart this. and love, and just you're one of the most inspirational people in my career, honestly. Well, you're going to make me sob before we, we get very <laughs> well, far. True. I didn't do your bio, so oh. can I read your bio? Sure. Okay. Sure. So this is Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, and he is a professor, mindfulness researcher, that's a wonderful title, and uh, director of the Master of Science in Applied Behavior Analysis Program at the University of Southern California, uh, as well as the director of research at First Steps for Kids. His life's work involves research and practice in areas that help people thrive during times of stress and discomfort. Dr. Tarbox has published five books in psychology, over 90 scientific articles and chapters, and served as editor-in-chief of the scientific journal Behavior Analysis and Practice. It's all so impressive. Um, <clears throat> his practical work revolves around supporting children and families, as well as teaching adults skills that help us connect with deeper meaning and purpose in the context of life's struggles. Compassion and social justice are the, com the compass that guide Dr. Tarbox's work. Dr. Tarbox is proud to have multiple neurodivergent fam family members, excuse me, and is working hard to become a more effective ally to the autism community. It's very uh, concise, and I think it describes you to a T, because in the, t in the time that I have known you, which I'm proud to say has been a long Quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> like what, like seriously, like maybe 18, 17, 18 years? It could years. be. I think so, yeah. maybe. Um, that this is always the space that you've come mm. from, that you've always been in a space about understanding, listening, mm. and being effective at helping people to get to better lives that are meaningful to them, and not about the BS, <laughs> about does it look good, does right. it sound good, does it quack? Um, how much money can be made off of it? You're, you know, a very pure person. Thank you. Uh, am I allowed to say that? Because I think I can say it. I, I know you probably can't say it, but Dr. Tarbox was part of our team. Sure. Uh, of when when we were treating our son, you guys, and and there were a lot of years that you were a regular, a, a mm. weekly regular on Autism Live, but before that, um, you were just this person who was common sense on our team. I've told the story many times about when Jem was hitting me um, and that I came uh, in one day for our clinic and I said I need help, which was hard 
Um, and if anybody is being hit, it's so hard, right, to admit that your child is hitting you. I hit it for a long time. Um, but I had the guts, because I knew something bad was going to happen. If I didn't say something, I had the guts to say I need help. And they brought you down. And you were infinite help. And, and I had met you briefly before that. But you just have this presence about you, and you are this, you know, vessel about the truth and, and you know, figuring it out that is truly lovely, which has just Thank been you. a huge guiding light for me. So I'm a huge fan. <laughs> anyway, uh, I have to take care of some business here at the top. I want to welcome everybody. If you're watching us, uh, we are live right now. It is Monday. I don't know what the date is. Uh, what's the date today? Is it the 18th? It's the 18th. Yeah, it's Monday, December right. 18th, 2023. If you're watching live, you have the opportunity right now to be writing in. You can uh, find us. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. We hope that you will write in on any of those platforms. I have the ability to see live questions. Susie B is already saying hello. Autism Journey with Elijah is saying, wow, love this so much. Very impressive. I know. Wait till you hear him talk, too. I'm going to let him talk, too, in a minute. Um, but I'm so glad that you guys are here. And anybody else who wants to write in, you can. I really encourage you to, um, to be able to be a part of the conversation. That's why we do the shows live. Because it's just more fun. Much more fun. Yeah. Um, and we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, but uh, Dr. Tarbox said he'd be willing to take questions. So feel free, you guys. Uh, you know, go ahead. Uh, lob them over. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but uh, I also want to say that later on, the show will be available as a podcast. It will always be available on YouTube. In fact, you can go back and watch some of the older <laughs> shows on YouTube. Uh, what the, I think the most popular one, we were talking about this the other day, is that you did a a thing about a research study about brushing teeth. Yeah, yeah. There's so many comments uh, that come on a regular basis on that People one. People still email me a lot about, about, about the video clip, more than they email me about the article. Why? Why about the video clip? They, they come across it, they and just they're inspired by it or whatever, and so okay. they email me, and they, okay. add, they ask for more practical resources. And then oh, I send them the yes. article. That's so it's the like thing a great way to direct people to the research. Yeah, really cool. absolutely. And, um, but there's so many wonderful videos that, like, even though it's many years later, they still stand up beautifully. You can be checking out all the things that Dr. Tarbox has done with us in the past. Um, but you can write in questions now. But if you're watching us, it, so there's two different ways. Well, actually, there's three different ways. What am I saying? So you can be watching the show live. You can watch it recorded on YouTube and get picture and sound. Or you can get the podcast, which is sound only. Okay. And if you get the podcast that sound only, you will see that there are advertisements. You will hear that there are advertisements. And we hope that you embrace that because that's what makes it possible for us to make that a free download for you. Now, some of you have written to us and said, I appreciate that. There's a cost to it. But I'd rather pay the cost myself than have to listen to the ads because I'm busy. Oh. I have things to do. And we heard you. So there is a way that you can pay for it yourself and get it ad-free. If you go to glow.fm slash autism live, you can pay. It's $5 a month. But if you decide to buy it across a year, it's even less expensive because there is a charge every time they charge, they run your card. So we pass that savings on to you. Uh, so check that out if that's something that interests you. And by the way, when you do that on glow.fm, you not only get autism live, but you get Ask Dr. Doreen as well free of ads. So, in fact, you get everything that we do at the Autism Network. So, 
That's wonderful. I also want to give the programming note that tomorrow is the last show of the year. We are having Ask Dr. Doreen with Dr. Doreen Grampuche, and I am giving her a gift. I hope she's not watching right now, uh, where that has uh, comments. We've had a lot of uh, notes from many of you, but if you still want to get in on that and have your note be a part of the gift to her, you should write to me, Shannon, at autism-live.com as soon as possible because I will have to wrap it today. So, so if you have a note for Dr. Doreen, please send that over my way. And if you have other questions, you can always reach me, Shannon, at autism-live.com. Okay. We've taken care of business. Okay, very but good. But can we start with business for you because you've sure. been involved with something pretty impressive. We shared a little bit about it, I, I think, in October. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, I and I, I love this project that you were doing with one of your grad students. That's mm-hmm. now she's all graduated now, right? Almost. She's almost. Okay. She's about to get her PhD. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, I just firmed up with her today that she's going to come on and talk more about this Excellent. on January eighth. Great. Great. I, in fact, our Very first nice. show back uh, nice. when we come back in the new year. But um, tell everybody what it's called and what it is and how they could sign up. Yeah, definitely. It's called STAND, and it's a project that is about empowering families of newly diagnosed children. And so it's an eight-week program that takes place all on Zoom, and it's one hour a week for eight weeks. And it's a support group and a parent training group, and it uh, connects families with resources. Uh, So resources for public school, uh, ABA services, other services. Uh, and it's about just empowering families and closing the diagnosis to support gap, right? There's a huge gap between when you get the diagnosis and when you actually get access to real meaningful supports. And so her sort of her life's work as a young researcher is about empowering families during that really difficult time. Um, and so it's a randomized control trial, so everyone will get assigned to either immediate uh, parent support group or delayed parent support group. But everybody gets the full access to the full program. Nobody's getting a placebo or anything like that. Um, And so, yeah, um, the next cohort starts in late January or early February. So we really encourage people to sign up right now because space is very limited. We keep the group small uh, so that the families get a really intimate, high-quality experience. And this is limited to families in California, is that correct? It is limited to California, But yeah, it's virtual, mm-hmm. so you can be in San Francisco and do Any, it. Anywhere in California. But anywhere in California. And, and you're, you're doing this study, but the basic premise is what? what? What is it that you're hoping to find from this? Uh, several things. We're trying to uh, empower families with knowledge about... Um, creating more peace uh, in their interactions with their child. So if they're having challenging behavior issues, tantrums, things like that, we're teaching some very basic skills for just turning down the heat on all of that and and empowering their children to communicate to get what they want rather than having a tantrum. Um, And then we're doing ACT training, acceptance and commitment training skills for the parents themselves to to help them cope with their stress level and, and, uh, and be a little more present and a little bit less stuck in their heads. Um, and then uh, connection with practical resources, so literally like where you go to get connected with an ABA program or insurance funding, that kind of stuff. And then it's also a support group, so there's other parents. So we really encourage the parents to help each other out, and we connect the parents with each other. Um, so those are basically all of the uh, pieces of the package, and what we're hoping will change will be f- uh, kids will get connected with services faster, parent distress will go down, um, and just sort of like family joy will go up <laughs> yeah. because they're spending less time stressed out and more time just tuned into the present moment and enjoying the moment with their kids. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, anytime I'm someplace with you, 
and I've sat with you sometimes. It's, you'll, you'll, I'm, I'll be at a conference and you'll say, you've got to come to this one, Shannon, mm. and come and sit. And it's always about how if the, – and studies keep coming out that, that show this clearly, that if the parents take care of themselves, it's so yes. – it's ridiculous when you think about it. You go, oh, well, that does make sense, doesn't it? Uh, it's that duh that we always used to talk about, that they do science and then you go, well, duh – but it's important because there's proof showing that parents take care of themselves yeah. and if parents have less stress, the kids do better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it seems like a magic trick, but when you think about it, it does it does make great sense. No, it does. And, and I'll just be honest. Like the number one Achilles heel from 25 years of working with parents, the number one Achilles heel that parents have is making it only about their kids. And so they totally sacrifice their own well-being and their own health. And... Like you said, you cannot be your most effective parent if you're just killing yourself to only make your whole world about your child. Um, And also, um, this is kind of a tough pill to swallow, but I think it's reasonable. If you just fast forward 20 years or 30 years, how do you want your child to treat themselves? Uh, Yeah. And who are they going to learn it from? Yeah. So. I think that's the thing that has resonated over the years the most with me because I'm not good at (laughs) self-care. Like, I'm just not. You know, it's just really hard for me. And, and I wasn't good at it before I had a child. I'm just going to be honest about that. And then, and then I certainly didn't become good at it when my child was diagnosed with autism. Yeah. That didn't go, oh, well, now it's no. an opportunity for self-care. Probably the opposite. Right? <laughs> um, and yet I think about that all the time now because watching him as a 20-year-old, he just finished finals last night. Uh, right? Amazing. And, and I see him dealing with stress, and I go, oh, wish I could go back and re-legislate all of that mm-hmm. and set the example. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, the example that, that he says that I showed him is how to power through when you've got a deadline. Yeah. That's what I taught well, him. And, and that's super valuable, too, right? As long as yeah. it's balanced with other stuff, too. Yeah, and it's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there we go. But we, I, we could do a whole separate episode some other time just on self-care for okay. parents of autistic kids. Can we kids. do that? Absolutely. Because yeah, that's yeah. important. That's worth a whole hour. In um, yes. And we've already got people sending in questions. I'm saying sure. hello to Writing with Mike, and uh, and then we've got a bunch of questions. Uh, but I asked you to come today, and we are going to do Jargon of the Day. Cool. Uh, yeah. And Chris has been waiting for us patiently. <laughs> so the Jargon term, and we've never done this before, okay. this term, okay. uh, Compassionate ABA. And this is a term that's being used more and more. So let's take a look at what you guys, if you guys know and watch the show, we do jargon of the day all the time. And what we do is first we give an actual definition, which we usually get out of the Cooper Hayward. Sure. And, I, and Hayward has said that he would like to come on the show. That would uh, be so cool. Right. And we've he, said that he's a lot of fun. fun. He he's, is. He's, he's super sweet. Yeah. Um, but often I give their definition and then I make fun of it yeah. because, you know, what else could you possibly do with it if you don't have a Ph.D. in psychology? I'm sorry. I love you all. Yeah, but yeah. it's not written for somebody who no, doesn't no, no. already have a degree. Yeah. So I often make fun of it and, and all the extra jargon that's in it. Then we give a working definition, and I try to give that's an great. example so that, you know, those of us who don't have that degree and all those letters after our name have a way of accessing yeah. something about what it means. Uh, today's a little bit different because we have the expert here with us, and so uh, I'm not going to make too much fun of the actual. No, I, I don't mind. Go for <laughs> it. I can anyway, take it. Anyway, <laughs> let's 
it's, uh, and you're going to have to full screen it for me, Chris, uh, because I'm not going to be able to read it. Okay. Uh, would you like to read it? Is that Okay. Sure. All right. Sure. You go right ahead. This is the actual definition. Yeah. So this is the definition that we've been working on, uh, and we published a paper over the summer that really laid this out in a scientific journal. And what we're saying is compassion involves empathizing with another human being's suffering and then engaging in overt behavior that's aimed at alleviating that human being's suffering. So two parts. First, empathize, then do something about it. Oop, there I am. I'm de-jargoning it already. Oops. <laughs> yeah, don't do okay, it. Okay, don't do okay, don't do it. Uh, and so let's define that a little bit more. So what does alleviating suffering mean? From a behavior analytic standpoint in the ABA world, alleviating suffering means helping a human being decrease the extent to which their behavior and their life is influenced by negative reinforcement and punishment. So have less of an influence on your life from negative reinforcement and punishment. Um, and so when you think about it, ABA then could be more compassionate or less compassionate, depending on how much we're oriented toward minimizing aversive experiences for our clients and, and the families we serve, both in the short term and the long term. Okay. I, I sort of almost kind of get it, maybe okay. around the edges. Yeah, What's, yeah. What jumps out at me is, you know, create less suffering. Yes. Um, and that, that, that ABA, because I, I, people get very confused about what ABA is, yeah. but if I just think of it as a teaching tool, yeah. that what I love about that definition is that it acknowledges that you could use it in a way, anybody yeah. could take a teaching tool and make somebody's life miserable with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You could if yep. you chose to do that, but the other is also available too. Right. And that compassionate ABA says, let's make it that. Okay. So, if you got a little lost in the definition, though, take a hug from me, because how long have I been doing this? And I'm like, yeah, the minute, I'm sorry, I know what overt means, but the minute you throw in, it's a $10 word, and I yeah, go yeah, click, yeah. and I turn off. So there, I did make a little bit of fun of it. Um, okay, so now let's go to the working definition, and then we're going to give examples. So nobody, nobody leave, we're not done. So I'll let you go ahead and do the working definition. Okay, so yeah, um, just to try to put it into plain English so it makes sense is compassion involves sharing the suffering of our clients, so feeling it uh, in the moment when they're having distress, and then taking action to alleviate that suffering. So doing something about it. So we notice that our, let's say, an autistic child that we're working with, if he's in distress, we actually feel some of that distress in the moment. And then we don't just feel it and bury it, we make a choice to do something on the outside, overt behavior. You could just say, take action, to alleviate that human being suffering right then in that moment. Yeah. Um, and also balancing that with long-term concerns as well. And so we'll talk more about that. Um, but important to note that it's, it's, a, it's a functional definition, which means it depends on what actually does alleviate suffering for that autistic person. So let's say, you know, I might, you know, with my neurotypical, you know, social standards or whatever, I might think giving you a hug or patting your back uh, might alleviate your suffering, or maybe talking to you about your emotions in the moment might make you feel better. Uh, and if it does, great, then that, that meets the definition. But if that doesn't alleviate your suffering, it doesn't matter how nice it looks to me or to anybody else, it could actually be uncompassionate, maybe making you more uncomfortable by making you talk about your feelings, or by trying to give you a hug when you want to be left alone. Um, and so it's, it's really radically functional, that we're, we're helping the person in a way that they want to be helped, and so we're centering what they care about, their voice, their preferences, um, and we're centering their emotional experience of the world 
not what we think it should be. <laughs> we're, we're not what we're trying to teach them. You know, like, well, that's not neurotypical. You know, you, that's not an, an appropriate emotional expression. None of that. Right. It's like, how are you actually feeling in the moment? And how can I make it better for you from your perspective? Okay. And I think there was more on the slide. Chris, if you would. Um, okay. I think you pretty much got to compassion. Yeah. Is centering centering the, type the type of comfort that the client wants from yeah. their perspective. And that's going to be different for each human being. And it's going to be different even from day to day. So it's about us being really sensitive to the emotional status of the client. Yeah. And if you go back to the Cooper book, yes. it's not in there. There is nothing about emotional, like, being okay, emotional yeah. well-being, that's not stated in, like, traditional standard ABA. And that's a problem. <laughs> and well, people in the problem. autistic community have been telling us that it's a problem, and it's time for us in the ABA community to acknowledge that and do better. Yeah, there is a part of me that goes, but isn't that always the base of everything? But I understand why we need to define this. I get it. I, and, I, and it's hard for me because I feel like that my child did have compassion in yeah, yeah. Maybe not 100% of the time. There were times when we had to go, hey, let's look Hang at this and whatever yeah, yeah. And, and, and redo a moment. Yeah. But, but, I, but it's, I go back to the model of, because I was a school teacher, yeah. you know, and that people get off track on a daily basis sure. when they're teaching. When, at, they're well-intentioned and they can get off track. Of course. Yeah. It's very important in all walks of life yeah, not that, just we, be, ABA, that yeah. we evaluate what we're doing, yes. right? Going, yes. is it working? Is Am I on mission, right? Yes. Um, over and over and over again. So sometimes it's shocking to me because I go, well, of course it should always be compassionate. But I get that there are people who are saying that they had ABA that wasn't. Yeah, and and honestly, you you were pretty lucky. You had some pretty amazing people on your child's team, like people like Peter Farrig, where oh. he's just all heart. Like yeah. he he's not going to treat a person, a human being, poorly. He just doesn't yeah. have it in him. Yeah. Um, and so he figured out how to motivate your son through fun and yeah. through adventure and through play and through yeah. you know theatrical just engagement, you know. Um, and so that worked. Yes. But but you know. You, you could easily have had other folks on your team that really wouldn't or could, or didn't know how to motivate yes. your son through fun and through play. And at the end of the day, the traditional approach has been the kid has to do what they have to do. They have to comply. And so if they're not willing to, we're going to make them. And that was that was practiced for decades in ABA. Well. And I won't say that we didn't have anybody who was like that, but they didn't survive very long on our team. And I fired people. And Well, but um, you were a very powerful self-advocate. Not all parents are. Well, but I think that's part of the reason why we need to educate parents. I agree, yeah. And that's why what you're doing with the, was it called stand? Stand, yeah. Stand. I think that that's important because anytime a parent is empowered, look, if you have knowledge, knowledge is power, yes. right? Yeah. And And I, I always felt like I didn't know what I was doing, but I guess – the lens that I was going through from the beginning before I decided to start ABA, because I'd heard bad things about ABA. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, his his sense of self has to be preserved. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody ever telling him he's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, like, I, I w and, and if really somebody good. did, <laughs> if somebody did, I immediately went, hey! You know, and I, I was in the other room listening on the baby monitor. Well, some, some of the older forms of ABA literally were designed to tell the kid they're wrong. Like, that was a lot of what you did with no, no, wrong, yeah. you know. And, yeah. then, and then you go on to the next teaching thing. And, I, I, like, honestly, those procedures were, were designed, uh, they weren't designed with the thought of the first thing I need to do is preserve this human being's dignity and autonomy. 
that was not the first thing. What they were thinking was the. That. Uh, well, that's because you're you. You <laughs> well, because you know, I think that's just like how it should be obvious. Yeah, it should be obvious. And it should be obvious for special educators, and it should be yes. obvious for psychologists and SLPs and OTs and everybody, yes. right? But the, the truth is, it's not. And, yeah. And uh, people with disabilities have faced discrimination and bias for forever yes. since the beginning of time, and I think that that's part of it. Is that is that you can use. It's the assumption that you're allowed to use procedures that are a little bit less ethical and a little bit more forceful with people with disabilities because we know better than them. I mean, it's an, it's an ableist bias that's been present across our society, not just ABA, for, forever. So for the parents, like, um, you know, I, I see writing with Mike says, I wish we could get ABA because I know they've been waiting for a long mm. time mm. Um, to get it. But for parents who are starting um, and, and say, okay, I want to do ABA mm -hmm. and, and – you should have access in the United States to ABA, uh -huh. right? You uh -huh. should have funding in, in the United States, and you should have access. And I think that, you know, I'm always saying to people, if you, if you pay for insurance and they're telling you that there isn't anybody, please call them and say that it's a denial of access to care. Right, yeah. So that they will give you a provider maybe that's outside their network, but they have to provide. You can't keep paying premiums. Yeah. And then they're saying legally you don't required. Have any, they're yeah. legally required. And the phrase is denial of access to care. Please call your insurance company today. If you have been waiting more than three months, mm -hmm. I, call them today and say that. Um, okay, but if for people who are hearing this and go, well, wait a second, maybe I'm going to get that ABA where they're going to tell him he's wrong, yeah. what advice do you give them to make sure that they get the good ABA? The yeah. compassionate ABA. Yeah, I, I would um, definitely advise them to um, ask their BCBA, their child's BCBA, how are you going to make sure that my child uh, feels emotionally safe and, and secure during all ABA sessions? How are you looking out for my child's emotional well-being? And honestly, I hate to be pessimistic, but for a lot of BCBAs, that will be the first time anyone's ever asked them that. And, really? And yes. And they might say, I don't know. <laughs> but then that's great. You could say, okay, great. Here's your opportunity to learn more. Right. Here's your opportunity to go back to your clinical director and check in on yeah. that. And I want to know. Um, and so there are behavior analysts who have even been taking data on child emotion for 20, 30 years. It's called, uh, see, of course, we have to jargon everything, indices of happiness. And, and literally it's oh, taking God. data on, like, <laughs> is the person smiling or laughing? Oh. Or are they crying or frowning or grimacing? And so that we can be responsible for that. We can document. Is, is, the, is the person feeling okay and feeling safe during these sessions? Um, you know, ask about stuff like that. And yeah. just say, like, I'm not okay with my child not feeling safe. Like, uh, my, the, the, the number one condition is during every single ABA session, my child needs to feel safe and loved and cared for. Yeah. That's the prerequisite. If you can't make my child feel safe and loved and cared for, you don't have any business implementing the next discrete trial. Like, you're not ready to do it. Okay. But then we get into, let's talk a little bit about ACT. Sure. Um, uh, because when I went through ACT training, one of the big things, aha moment for me, was recognizing that sometimes I have two very powerful values and they're going like this. Sure, sure, yeah. And that one very powerful value for a lot of autism parents is I want my child to be safe. Yeah. Boom, that's yeah. a big one. But on the other hand, I want my child to learn things and eventually be independent. And, Absolutely. man, they go poom, 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 like this. Absolutely. Although I have to say, um, let's say I was helping you mm -hmm. with one of your most difficult behavioral challenges. You can pick, think whatever you want in your head right my now. Personally, but let's say, Yeah, you, me. personally. What if I was your coach? Right. Um, and it would require some 
really significant discomfort from you to face that challenge and mm -hmm. to change your behavior. Yeah. You can probably think of something right now. Oh, none of us are perfect, right? We're all right. on a journey, oh, right? Gosh, yeah. um, so the difference is, would I be forcing you to do it or would I be holding your hand, looking you in the eyes and saying, we got this, we can do this together? Yeah. Would I be inspiring you to do it and yeah. making sure that you feel safe and still pushing you? Yeah. And maybe you're still going to even cry out of distress. Right. And you're going to be scared. You're going to be shaking. You're going to be terrified. But you're going to choose to walk through that door yeah. because you feel safe and supported. And, and we can and do I, that even with nonverbal children. Absolutely. Yeah. Because a nonverbal child knows when they feel safe. They yeah. know when they feel loved. They might not be able to put it into words. But, yeah. you know, it doesn't take words to feel emotions. And it doesn't take words to... To, to know. I mean, it's a basic mammal thing of move away, move towards, you know? Yeah. Well, I always quote Dr. Grand Pichet because her thing is always, it has to be fair. Yeah, yeah, and that's for a good, me, yeah. that's like, oh, oh, I understand what fair looks like. Yeah. There are a whole lot of other things I don't understand, but I understand what fair looks like. It has to be fair. And what you're saying is it would have to be, even though I'm doing something difficult, it would have to be fair to me. Yeah, like you want it. It's worth it. You yeah. choose it. And, and the truth is, is if these kids see the ABA therapists or the RBTs, whatever we call them these days, right. if they see them as partners and if they have a trusting relationship with them and, and when they walk through the door, they get excited and they yeah. run towards them, of course they're going to work hard for them. Of course yes. they're going to learn stuff. They want to, yeah. right? But if they see them as like, you know, people who are going to force them to do stuff they don't feel safe or comfortable with, yeah. they're going to want to run the opposite direction. They're not going to be motivated to learn. Which is rational. Of course. We should not be poo-pooing that. And if all. they had the words to say, like, I'm not sure about this. Why are you making me do this? I'm not yeah. okay with this. Um, we'd be acting different. Like, RBTs would act different. They would stop. They'd say, oh, okay, hang on a second. What should we do differently, right? Yeah. And then, okay, even if these kids do get forced through all these procedures they're not comfortable with, but then they develop the language, 20 years later, they then tell the whole community, I wasn't comfortable with that. You didn't right. have to make me do that. You could have, like, like made me feel safe. And, uh, you know, like. Yeah. And we are at that tipping point. I think where we are. we have. Adults that were nonverbal and are now yeah. verbal, lots, <laughs> and and who have things to say, uh, you know, I will say that a lot of people don't have a whole lot of memories from the early time. Sure, yeah, um, because you know, I have come to understand that you know our brains categorize things once we have more language, sure, so yeah. that we can retract them, you know, and find the memory. Yeah, makes but sense. we have lots of people that tell us, "I didn't like this." Yeah, absolutely. And that's valuable information to really know. Really valuable. Yeah. Um, and 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 there's also the other side of it too. There were things that I was worried about with Jem. I always tell the story about. Uh, we used to do that, the show called The A-Word, mm -hmm. and I was watching one of the first episodes of it, and the little boy was crying, and then the mom was standing outside the door crying, and Jen came up and said, why are you crying? And I said, I'm crying because I remember what that felt like, and he mm. said, did you stand outside the door and cry when I was crying? And I said, of course, and he said, why? Why were you crying because I was crying? And I said, because I don't ever want you to be in distress, and he said, that little boy is frustrated. Nobody ever died from frustration. <laughs> and, All right. And, he's, Very good. and he, he was like 10 when he said this to me. And he said, frustration is just a signal that things are about to change. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he has a lot of wisdom. And, and, I, and I think he had a really good experience. And so yes, it he makes did. sense that uh, he's right. It I that was way. lucky. I was yeah. incredibly lucky. And, uh, well, and you made sure that he had that. Through your behavior, through well, your I also, actions. And I, worked I remember. Hard. I worked hard, but I also got very lucky. I mean, yeah. you know, look at yeah. me. You were part of the team. I had a, an amazing team of people that were doing amazing things. I also remember that you were willing to act in a way that made other people feel uncomfortable sometimes. 
And I don't know if you said that out loud or thought that out loud, but that was the truth. I mean, I, and always, I think that was really valuable. I always um, say to people, I was a squeaky wheel, and um, and I assumed that you all hated me. <laughs> I assumed that. I never heard anything like that, but I do remember hearing, like, yeah, man, she's intense, you know? Well, and, and, and I was surprised I when I got good. offered a job when my kid graduated because I thought, oh my gosh, I thought you were all going to throw a party. <laughs> Like, uh, well, I, I, one of my first interactions with you, you probably don't remember. Mm. You were going to do it? the study about the, the, um, the oxygen, uh, the oxygen. Oh, H-bomb, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, I was refusing it. I was refusing to be a part of the study. Okay, okay. And you came to talk to me. And I said, because they were, they, you guys were going to do a study to see, because yeah. everybody was saying it was so effective. Right. Um, and you were going to take kids into tanks and do therapy with them in, in the tanks. And I would, I was saying I was only going to allow him to go in a tank if uh, you could guarantee that the BT had not been smoking or mm-hmm. was in different clothes. And I was willing to get other clothes. Yeah. And you were like, lady, that we can't make that happen. And yeah. I went, then we're yeah. not going to be a part of it. Yeah. I thought, Good he, for thinks, you. he thinks I'm a wackadoodle. But, but look how much our culture has changed. These days, of course, it's so disgusting. Like, I can't even imagine being in a small space with someone who just smoked. No way. I was concerned that it was going to cause more damage than not. Well, and even just behaviorally, even just psychologically, uh, it stinks. Why yeah. would you want your kids stuck in a confined space doing yeah. hard tasks with a horrible smell? You know? And you were very professional. You were like, I, I totally understand and, and whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm sure we missed out on something. And then your study showed that it didn't. It didn't make a work. It just didn't work. But I should. I always like to say that that was with soft shell uh, tanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That that was not with hard shell tanks. Um, that study has not been done. Yeah, as far as I know, I haven't followed the research in a while. So no, but that study has not been done. Anyway, I have some questions from people. Great, people love have written it. in a lot of different things. Okay, so um, Susie B said, "My son is down to eating two fo- foods." We are considering a feeding specialist. Every time he gets sick, which is quite often, he stops eating and doesn't return to his regular appetite. He says his food is yuck. He's nine years old and is currently attending um, FSFK in Alhambra for oh, ABA. Yeah. First Steps for Kids. Yeah, cool. Oh, okay. Cool. Alhambra, okay. great. Yeah, I'm familiar okay. with those folks. Well, she's very lucky because there are resident experts at First Steps who are uh, very, very talented at helping kids with feeding challenges. And so that's something that if she asks her child's program director or BCBA um, to focus on that, maybe they already are, but if she specifically asks for that, that you want renewed focus on that, there are other experts in the organization that that BCBA can consult with and get trained by. um, And I can help out too. Okay, there you go. Great. Uh, Writing with Mike says, our son only eats three foods, and we've started feeding therapy um, to see how it goes. Um, And uh, they started talking to each other, which is wonderful. uh, And she asked, uh, where is he going for feeding therapy? So they've had that whole conversation. And you guys are in different states. So um, let me fast forward down to here. Do you know what state he's in by any chance? uh, The second one is in Arizona. Do you, you guys don't have offices in Arizona? No, no. Um, um, but they already have feeding therapy in Arizona. Okay, good. Um, okay. And, and so there was lots of, I thought it was lots and lots of questions, but I love when our, uh, our viewers start talking to each other and yeah, sharing it's resources a community. That's so with cool. each other. Uh, so I, I guess my question about compassionate ABA um, is where do we fall on intensity? 
Yeah, so that, um, that should not be affected either way by taking a compassionate approach. Um, the only way that would be really relevant is if the intensity uh, made the, the, the client or the family's experience of ABA substantially more aversive. So, you know, for some families it is really hard to do 30 hours, let's say. Um, and so if uh, the BCBA was saying, well, that's what's recommended by the research, so that's what you need to do, and we're done having the conversation, that's not the most compassionate approach to that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the BCBA acknowledges, wow, it actually is kind of aversive for this family to dedicate this many hours to it. They're exhausted. They're trying to do all these other things that are important to the family. How do they manage the schedule? And then the BCBA takes overt action <laughs> to engage with the parents to change something, to make that experience less aversive, that would be an example of the BCBA taking a more compassionate approach, as opposed to a less compassionate approach would be, well, just deal with it. Sorry, this is what the science says your kid needs. Well, and then there's the flip side of it, which I see all the time, which is people saying, you know, okay, your prescription is for 30 hours, and the parents say, well, that's going to be really hard for us to do, so we'll only do 15, and then the BCBA says, okay. All the time, I don't feel that that's compassionate either. Right. Because I don't think that that parent knows. Yes. It's it's like saying, okay, you're in a game show. Yeah. And if, you know, you're going to, I'm going to ask you to do this one thing that's going to be difficult, but if you do, you're going to win a million dollars. Right, right. But But then you say it's going to be really difficult, (laughs) and you go, well, then I'm not going to do it, and nobody told you that there was a million dollars for doing it. Yeah, and so that's why our definition of compassion includes both short-term and long-term distress. So in the short term, maybe the easier thing for that parent is to just to tell them, okay, no problem, 15 hours a week, right? Because that's mm-hmm. minimizing their short-term distress. But if their child makes less gains and is able to access less of the community, is able to develop less functional communication, maybe still has some challenging behavior, has long-term outcomes that are even more distressing, then yeah. you're right. That's not compassionate to just let that happen because you don't want to deal with the short-term difficulty, right? And so our definition of compassion is that we always need to balance both short-term and long-term And we can't ever just use short-term as an excuse to ignore long-term or use long-term as an excuse to to ignore short-term. So a classic thing we used to do a lot in in the ABA field was think about the long-term consequences and say, well, then that justifies doing anything that we have to right now. We'll put the kid through hell if we have to right now because we want this future for them that's, that's really important. And, and I get where we were coming from when we did that. It was We were coming from the right place. But if we're only focusing on that, then that could justify doing things in the moment that really aren't okay and that aren't in the kid's best interest in the moment. And so it's about balancing both. And so uh, for a family like that, I think um, it would make sense for the BCBA to have the really difficult conversation. That In the moment, that having that conversation is going to increase distress, both for the parent and for the BCBA, right? Yeah. But it's about how do we have this conversation in a way that's supportive and listen and really understand, try to see it from the parent's perspective. Don't try to deny it or explain it away or avoid it. Try to really engage that parent from with where they're coming from and then say, okay, what can we do about it coming yes. from that place? Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I agree. I mean, if, 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 the, if the research is clear on intensity yeah. and clinically, if the clinical judgment of the BCBA is, yeah, this kid has a lot that they could learn. If we get the intensity high enough that it could really help, then, yeah, we can't avoid just having that conversation just because the parent isn't interested or doesn't yeah. want to. We have to do both. I, and I feel so strongly about this because I see all the time that people are choosing to do the 15 and that yeah. what happens is you just – it's still stressful. To do 15 hours of ABA <laughs> it's is still, still really stressful. Hard, yeah. <laughs> and, and that what happens is you just keep circling the drain. Mm. And the example I always give people is that I used to have to do payroll. 
and I would only have to do it once every two weeks. And I would have to log in and remember that password once every two weeks. Uh, yeah. And I would have to know which button to click and which thing to do. And, I, and it was always stressful. And it would take me way longer. And everybody would say, but you'll get used to it. But because it was once every two weeks, if I'd had to do it every day for two weeks, yeah, I would no have problem. had it. Yeah, I yeah. would have had it. And then it wouldn't have been stressful for me. But I just couldn't get enough. So I kept cycling the drain on it yeah. uh, because I wasn't having to do it every day. And I think about that all the time with these kids who are only getting 15 hours, which is just enough to get frustrated and not break through. I agree with that. And, and especially when a 15-hour program, sometimes they're designed just like a 30-hour program or a 40-hour program but you only have 15 hours of time to work uh, on it. So you're working yes. on way too many skills where it's basically hopeless. There's no way you're going to master all of this stuff. Yeah. But it's like, well, this is what we do in ABA. I guess we have to just teach yeah. a million skills rather than focusing on if we really did only have 10 or 15 hours, period, we better focus on the stuff that really matters. That's it's going to be important. really transformative for that family. But for, for me, uh, the thing that I'm always saying to parents is, you know, what's, what's on your list? Right. What are the things that you Absolutely. want for your child? And everybody always says some version of communication. Mm-hmm. I want I, A lot of times people say, I want spoken language. I want him to be able to answer questions. I want her to be able to say, I want this, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and language, if you think about it, if I want to learn Russian and I sign up today and say, I want right. to learn Russian, right. how many hours? Lots. I cannot <laughs> expect that yeah. I'm going to be able to do that in 15 minutes a day. No, in fact, the only really best way to do it is to move to the country and don't talk to anyone that speaks English, which right. means it's 24 and hours a day learning yes. yeah, Thank you. for a year. So yeah. if you want your child to be able to learn language, then, then I'm always saying to people, think about how many hours that takes Absolutely. and how many hours are you willing to devote to that. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, Mike says we're just uh, on a waiting list for ABA again. Mike, I hope you call them today and say denial of access to care. Uh, uh, Autism Journey with Elijah says, what would you suggest us doing until we get ABA um, into place, home and public school, et cetera? Oh, my. Yeah, that's, I I feel like it's impossible for me to make recommendations that are specific enough, but I do think um, getting plugged into some acceptance and commitment training resources can be really transformative. So probably the best single book to read is called The Reality Slap by Russ Harris. The Reality Slap by Russ Harris. It costs $15, I think, and it's easy to read, and it makes a lot of sense, and it, it really empowers families with um, tools to handle their own stress and to not just sort of feel better, but to get busy, to choose specific behaviors that they can do each day that moves them towards what they really care about most in their family for that day or that week. Um, so check that out. And then there are some really good um, resources on basic parent training stuff that, that's ABA-focused, uh, but... Um, it's not a substitute, obviously, for a real program, but, but it can be empowering still. And, um, yes, uh, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm reading um, questions sure. from people. I, I think, um, I wish that your program, your STEM program, you need to get it in more than California. I know. The, the rationale behind that was uh, a big piece of the program is connecting families with resources that are directly relevant to them. And yeah. so uh, a lot of it is like regional center and California yeah. state insurance laws and things like that. Yep. So it made sense. And for it's for research studies. We're trying to kind of kind of control the, you know, the parameters of it to some extent. Uh, but that is the plan is to roll this out more broadly. We've got to publish the research first. Uh, to show, yes, this works, it, it moves the needle for parents. And yeah. then uh, the plan is to roll it out more broadly. Absolutely. 
um, because I know I see Autism Journey with Elijah. I see that you say that you're looking into doing uh, gymnastics, homeschooling, and other services, but ABA for us is the most important thing besides other services like OT, speech, feeding, PT, and thank you so much. And, um, you know, if we just look at studies about what's most effective, um, you know, it's clear. And that is why insurance pays for ABA is right. because you're going to get a much bigger bang. Uh, and, of course, we know that the more intensity you do that, the bigger the bang you have the potential to find. It's different for everybody. Right. Different we don't want to say across the board anything. Um, I wanted – you were going to give the example. One of the things we talked about was the toothbrush. Mm -hmm. So let's mm -hmm. talk about what compassion at ABA looks Great. like, and let's talk about it with the context of yeah. brushing teeth. Okay. So – uh, and this really ties in the short-term versus long-term thing. Okay. So if you only cared about short-term distress and short-term comfort and your child hates brushing their teeth and they're crying and they're scared and they're frustrated, the best thing to do, if you only cared about short-term, the best thing to do would be to say, okay, no big deal. You don't have to brush your teeth, right? right? And on any given day, that decision is actually okay, right? It doesn't actually make a difference if you do it just one day, right? right. But then if you do it the next day and the next day and the next day, we, we all know what happens, right? right? And so then the long-term consequences for this kid are losing their teeth and tooth decay and pain. oral problem pain, yeah. not being able to chew their food. Like, clearly, that's not more compassionate. Obviously right. not, right. right? And so um, older approaches to ABA, and I know some parents have resorted to this too, is if you're only thinking about the long term, then you just force the kid. And sometimes yeah. it gets down to like pinning the kid down and just forcing the toothbrushing, and the kid's crying and sputtering and toothpaste is flying everywhere. And the parent is wants to cry because they hate, why am I doing this? I hate this. Yeah. The kid is, right? And so that's not okay either, obviously, yeah. right? And so it's about balancing both short-term and long-term, saying I am not going to give up on my kid's oral health. I'm not going to do it. And also saying I am not willing to pin my kid down and make them have one of the worst experiences of their life for five minutes to brush their teeth. I'm not, just not going to do it. And so we have to balance both. And so if the parent doesn't know what to do, they got to ask their BCBA. Um, and, and don't settle for... Uh, just escape extinction, which just escape extinction means the kid can't escape. They just have to do it. So you just make them do it. That's not okay. It's not good enough. And so what that might look like, it's going to be different for every kid. But the cool thing about ABA is we have like 100 years of research on tiny adjustments and tiny details of procedures that can really make things better. And there's all kinds of jargon for each one of those. Yeah. But the basic idea is make it easier, make it less scary, make it more fun, more positive reinforcement, make it worth it. Right. And so... And so step one might be literally just showing the kid the toothbrush for one second. Yeah. Look, toothbrush, here's your huge positive reinforcer. Whatever right. your favorite thing in the universe is, now you get to go do it. Uh, do that three times in a row. If we have smiling and no running away and screaming, now step two might be I'm going to show you the toothbrush for two seconds. Right. <laughs> okay? Right. And then step three might be like I'm going to hold it close to your face, but you don't even have to touch it, right? But you don't graduate to the next step until they're successful at the current step, they're smiling, they're laughing, they're getting their big reinforcer. Right. That's how you know it's time to move on. And so a reasonable concern might be, well, that will take forever, right? Yeah. And, yeah, maybe it will. And maybe, maybe you need to dedicate 10 minutes a day every day um, and w when you're not late for school, let's say, right? right. And when you're not right. late for bed, right? But dedicate 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day um, to really gradually, calmly – uh, working on this process. And then maybe six months from now, the kids just do-do-do, smiling, brushing their teeth. Okay, I did it, Mommy. Give me my reinforcer. You right. know? 
Um, and we have research that has produced that outcome, that exact yes. outcome, without ever having to force the child to do it, never. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, families, if they're interested, they can. Um, I'm happy to send them the article and then also the specific steps that we did. It'll still work better if you have a BCBA, like help you through that process. But honestly, it's not rocket science. The main thing is, don't force the kid, and um, don't move on to the next step until they're totally solid at the current step. Yeah. It's a lot like how we uh, reduce fear, like to, uh, to spiders, let's say. Desensitization, yeah. it's a lot like that. Yeah. Really, really slow, really gradual, and positive. Not forced, not manipulated, but like the, the child has to want to choose to engage the process. Yeah. We had a parent two weeks ago um, write in um, to ask Dr. Doreen and say, I'm having a hard time getting my child out of the car into the house mm. uh, after school. And uh, we asked a lot of different questions, and um, and Dr. Grampiche, what what said what is the what is the reinforcer mm -hmm. for coming into the house? Like sometimes we just forget. Yeah, sure. You know? And what was amazing was last week the mom wrote back and said, "Oh, I offered him too many marshmallows, and he's happy to come into the house." There you go. And, and you know, it, it's one of those moments for me where I was like, "Oh gosh!" Like all that pain, however many weeks she was having a hard time getting him out of the car. And too many marshmallows made it there. Right. You, and you just go, oh, can I just look at everything that way? Right. Can I stop for a second and think about what's the hardest time of day and what's the pushback mm -hmm. that I'm getting? I, you know, it made me think about there was a period of time that we were living in a condo that didn't – you had to park, park across the street. And mm -hmm. it was a, like – cars would fly by and we'd actually had a kid get wow. hit by a car oh my gosh and getting out of the car when i would pick jim up from school and getting him out of the car and his book bag and my bag and everything really difficult and i was always like watching the cars go by and everything and and panicked right and he would always do it so slowly mm -hmm. and i would be like can you please hurry Just go. can you please get out of the car and 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 then I, I worked on it with him in a parking lot like here's how we're going to get out of the car here's how you're going to listen to mommy like all these different things, and, it, and you know, and I was like, and you got to do it this way. You got to take this, pick up your bag, like all this craziness, right? Yep. And then I remember the day that I he just wasn't doing it fast enough, and I was panicking because I could see a car turning, and I was worried. And and I said, I just need you to do it this way. And he said, Do you have autism? <laughs> and I said, What? And he goes, well, Why do you need it one way? Why can't it <laughs> it's be, a pretty fair question. <laughs> why can't it be another way? And I just, I, you know, just sometimes we get so entrenched yeah. in what we're thinking uh, that it's hard to just like for a moment go, okay, but wait a second. Yeah. What, this is what's going on for me. What's going on for him? Right. And I have to say, like, the neurodiversity movement has really taught me a lot about this because, you know, we, we think things like, why can't you just get out of the car? Just hurry up. How yes. hard is it, right? Or why, can't you just, why can't you just brush your teeth? What's the big deal, yeah. right? And from a neuro, neurodiversity standpoint, actually, no, maybe that is how much support an autistic person needs to learn that particular skill or to deal with that particular transition or to experience that particular sensory input or whatever it is. Yeah. Maybe it just is that hard or that scary. Um, and, you know, you could apply the same thing to, I don't know, uh, learning disabilities. Like, well, why does this kid with dyslexia need such special instruction? Right. Well, well, maybe that's what they need to be successful, you know. Yeah. Or someone with anxiety or depression. Well, why do they need all this special time with a therapist, you know. Like, well, maybe that's what they need to be, you know. Yeah. Maybe we need to just be a little more flexible. And yeah, maybe it will take six months to learn to brush teeth. Or maybe yeah. whatever the case is. I mean, loud noises, you know, um, 
feeding is a classic thing. Like, come on, kid, just eat the food, right? And more old-school approaches were just escape extinction. You just have to eat it. You force the kid to eat it. And I'm just not willing to do anything like that anymore. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, I was never willing to do that. Um, but, um, okay. Uh, Autism Journey with Elijah says, we have our son brush his teeth at night. He is not having it in the morning. Mm-hmm. We do not push him, but he is getting used to it little by little. We are hoping that this will lead into morning and night brushing. His tablet is a game changer for a reward. Great. Yeah, fantastic. Wonderful. Fantastic. And and for things like that, it's like, well, he shouldn't need a tablet for 15 minutes just for brushing his teeth. Maybe he does. Maybe that's what works. Yeah. And so maybe we all got to wake up 15 minutes earlier, you know, and, and that's uncomfortable for all of us. But if that's the accommodation that helps the person be successful yeah. and people are happy and, like, <laughs> experiencing some joy or some fun when interacting as a family, that is so much better than nagging and grouching and screaming and rushing and relayed yeah. and, and being antagonistic with each other. Yeah. You used to always say, you know, there has to be joy and there has to be happiness. Otherwise, what is the point? Yeah. And that's something my dad used to always say. That always resonated with me when you would say that. Because uh, especially, you know, I used to perform as an actress. And I would do all this work. You're in rehearsal for so long. And it was my ritual that I would always call my dad before opening night. And my dad would always say to me, he wouldn't say break a leg. He would say have fun. And he would say, because what's the point? Yeah. If you went through all of that work and you don't now have fun. <laughs> I love it. And, and, and then when you would say that about, you know, autism, I would be like, oh, right. Mm. Right, because, you know, what is the point of the whole thing? We all want to enjoy our children. Yeah. Yes, we're panicked and nervous about what their life is going to be like and missing the boat and all the things. But there is a way that we can be helping them and having fun and finding the joy. In fact, that's the only way. I, I, I think so. And if you think about it from a motivation standpoint, if we're not taking that approach, what are we teaching these kids? We're teaching them that interacting with other human beings, like adults or, or uh, authority figures or whatever, or teachers or parents, is a source of like coercion and frustration, and like you just have to do it, just get it over with. We don't want them to learn that. I mean, yeah. the whole point of what we do is helping autistic people connect with, with human interaction as a source of joy and comfort yeah. when, so that they can do it when they want it. Not because they have to, to be neurotypical, right. but when, when they find that as a, a, sor- a source of warmth and joy, that they can access that. Well, and remember when there was the big thing was the tiger mom, mm. right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And what we discovered with the tiger mom is that the kids grow up and leave and never come back and don't right. want to have anything to do with that parent. Why would that be any that. different with autistic kids? Yes, right. no, it would not be different. Sarah wants to know, I need advice on how to deal with the fear of braces. Oh, yeah, okay. That's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, for anybody. Yeah. 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 Braces are really difficult. It's why my teeth are crooked, because I could never... Like, I was like, you're going to put that in my mouth, and I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, yeah. And they're so uncomfortable. Even once you do, even if you get over the fear and you get them in your mouth, then they're really uncomfortable. I can't even. I huh. didn't. I have crooked teeth. So how do we do that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I this is out of my area of expertise. I haven't tried it. But for sure, the same basic approach of baby steps, make it fun, make it positive. Unfortunately, like, give the kid the opportunity to choose to engage versus not which is kind of hard because it's not really the kid's choice, right, to get braces or not, but um, set up the experience in a way to where they have some uh, autonomy and some agency in in the process. But, yeah, I I don't know. I don't have any really good advice for that. I will tell you that braces have changed a lot yeah. in, in the intervening years, and now they have um, those 
places that don't do braces that do it a little bit later with adults. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to go and get a tooth pulled to make room, mm -hmm. but they have the 3D printed mouthpieces mm -hmm. that you put in that, that change it ever so slightly yeah. over yeah. the course of six months. Yeah. And that they, uh, like, I don't know, I haven't done it, but I, I certainly think, have I think considered it. Quite, yeah, I think they're um, quite a bit more user-friendly. The only problem is you have to take them out and brush your teeth after every single time you eat, and so but that might be hard for some kid. kids. I think you wait and do it later when okay. they're teenagers or oh, adults. Oh, okay, okay, I'm not so sure. So you, you bypass the brace, which is hard, yeah. because you want to get that done, you know, at a certain time and age and whatever. Yeah. But I'm just... I'm just saying there are different ways of doing braces now. There are. And, you know, it's worth, it's worth noting that uh, if, if a situation is sort of over-the-top challenging, then it may well be worth doing over-the-top support and reinforcement. And so, um, you know, and I think that's generally true, but I'm just thinking of one of my own daughters. She was really struggling with math homework for a while and really genuinely hated it to the point where she was, like, tearing up during math homework. And, and I thought, she doesn't need edible reinforcers. That's like stupid basically to give her an edible reinforcer. And then I, my second thought was, actually she really loves candy. It really brings her joy and happiness. Why don't I just try giving her some gummy bears and just see what happens? Yeah. And like her face lit up. She smiled. She ate a gummy bear and I gave them to her for free as long as she was trying to do the homework. She didn't have to get it right. She didn't have to be perfect. It was just like, I'm going to try to engage this process and then cool, let's share some gummy bears. Yeah. And it produced more smiles and less crying. Okay, why not? Who cares, you know? Making it fair. Making it fair. Making it fair. I, you know, I will say to you, you know, though, Dr. Temple Grandin turned me on to Khan Academy. Have you done Khan Academy with her? Um, no, but you know what I have her involved in is uh, fit learning, which is a precision okay. teaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, okay. uh, and it's incredible. She's well, doing great and having fun and loving it. For me, uh, you know, Jem loved Khan Academy, but I loved Khan Academy because I am not a math person. And so he would come home with fractions in the new map, and I don't understand yeah, it. And yeah. so I would Google it. But then I found I could I could I could find a video on Khan Academy that cool. explained it to me. That's great. So that yeah. I wasn't putting my head down and crying. That's awesome. Uh, okay, so we're almost out of time here, and I appreciate mm. everybody um, for being here, and I appreciate you. And I think I do have to bring you back to talk about self care. Self care for parents. But let's uh, let's just recap a couple of things for people who come in at the end. Tell them. Uh, briefly, the one-minute description of Stand and where, the, where where they would go, and we'll include in the comments on the podcast uh, where to go. Yeah, but yeah. So uh, they can Google Autism Family Support Lab at USC, University okay. of Southern California. Autism Family Support Lab at University of Southern California, uh, and they'll find a link to the study there. But it's an eight-week program. It's all on Zoom for families of newly diagnosed kids living in the state of California. Uh, they meet on Zoom one hour per week for eight weeks. And it'll uh, connect parents with resources for uh, how to get connected with treatment supports and, and, and ABA, et cetera. Um, uh, parent training on basic behavior management and communication uh, training skills for their kids. Um, and then uh, acceptance and commitment training skills to help with their own distress and cope with their own stress, uh, as well as connecting parents with each other because it's, it's a parent support group as well. So we're trying to, I mean, we're trying to do a lot of things all at once, uh, but it's basically all the key ingredients that we think parents really, really need uh, from the beginning right when they get diagnosed. And it, this program was designed with input from a lot of folks, from the autistic community, from the parent community, from the practitioner community. You helped us out a little bit. Do you remember that? I do. Which we really appreciate. You gave us some really valuable input. 
Um, and so, yeah, we think um, so far uh, we've run a few cohorts so far, and families have had really positive feedback and really, really enjoyed the process. So we really uh, would love folks to sign up. Uh, the, the next cohort starts in the beginning of uh, February or maybe the end of January. So, and, and space is limited. Each cohort is only four to six, so we keep it small. Okay. And you've got how many books out? Oh, I think five, I think. And so if people wanted to find your books, where would they go? Um, That's geez. crazy that you have so many that you can't remember how many. I, I try, well, I actually, I'm not, I'm trying not to be about the ego thing, counting things and stuff like that, but, um, uh, yeah, where would they go? Uh, they could email me, jtarbox at usc.edu, okay. um, and, uh, yeah, if you put my name into Google or Google Scholar, a lot of my books are published with Elsevier, it's a major publishing company, so if you put in Tarbox and Elsevier book or something like that, or they could just email me, and, I'll, and I can connect them with uh, books that might be relevant to the specific needs that their child has. And I love and appreciate that you always try to think of, take other people's perspective in terms of the jargon. You have been somebody the entire time I have known you that said, has said, if you can't explain it and not and put it in regular terms that aren't jargon, then. You need to go back and learn more about what you're doing, and that's a thing that I respect so much. I wish that more of your colleagues would, would understand and get that. I know. Because when I, I will stop people and say, you need to like, you know, explain that in a way that I, that's less jargon, and they go, it's really difficult. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no, it's it not really an shouldn't be. Yeah. You didn't come out of the womb only knowing those words. Right. You're just going to have to engage your brain. And I'll say, like, it's literally in the competencies for the graduate students in our graduate program yeah. is explain it in technical terms and explain it in lay terms. You have to learn both. You cannot graduate from our program without learning both. So, well, but, but we're only producing 10 or 15 students a year. So. But thank God you're doing that. <laughs> but because it's, that it's a makes priority. a difference. Yeah. You're putting people out that, you know, get it. And, and make a difference. Um, I always enjoy uh, seeing your students when I meet them, like mm. doing a paper mm. session or something. Uh, it's clear that they're they're getting the, the mother stream from you. Well, they do great work, and they really influence us. They push us to do better as professors, which is the best part. That's amazing. Uh, and Lori says, the hour is over. I really enjoyed my time this morning. Thank you for oh. sharing. And I, I you, agree, Lori. too. Uh, and did I forget anything else? You're doing I don't so think many so. things. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I think that's the main stuff, right? Yeah. Well, thank you for being mindful about making sure that it's compassionate. Yeah, it's really important. Because it should be. It, it, it like, needs to be. All, I, all I human. wish it were a thing that we didn't even have to discuss, but apparently yeah. we, do, we do, so let's do it. Yeah, and, and, and if we're willing to feel some discomfort, then, then we can do better in the future. You know? we, we, don't, we don't need to defend our mistakes of the past. We can own them and move forward and, and be better and yeah. be stronger. Well, I'm always thrilled to have time to spend with you. Thank you for Thank you here. for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank all of you for being here. Don't forget, tomorrow is the last show of the year. It's Ask Dr. Doreen, and it, you still have time if you want to send her a note to be included. I have one of these crazy uh, boxes that you open it up, and it flies everywhere. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I love it. So, so we're, cool. we're really looking forward to that. And if you want your note included so that it flies out, um, please send that to me, Shannon, at autism-live.com. Uh, but get it to me within the next hour or two because I gotta wrap that thing, and it's such a cool it's idea. Be a beast. You know? <laughs> so uh, I'm so looking forward to it. All right, that's all the time we have for today. But thank you again, and thank, thank you. you all of you for being here. And we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye bye for now.
If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.